Coming up, I'll reveal the mindsets of very successful people and how you can get those working for you. And then, why are Google and major tech companies seeing such high turnover? What does that mean to you? I'll tell you. Let's go. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you win in your work life so that you're winning in the rest of your life. I want you making plenty of money, but I also want you experiencing tremendous meaning to see work as the unique contribution that you were created to make. So let's talk about mindset, shall we? So I've been privileged to interview well over a thousand well-known authors, speakers, coaches, politician, celebrities of every ilk. And that has allowed me this front row seat to what makes successful people tick. And if I were going to narrow it down to just one thing, it would be not how they tick, but how they think. How they think. So I want to give to you seven mindsets and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and, and I honestly, I could have come up with 70, but I'm going to give you seven. Seven mindsets that I believe are consistent among high performers. So let's first talk about what a mindset is. Very simply defined, a mindset is an attitude held by someone. So established attitudes. So before we dive into this, what are your attitudes about change? What are your attitudes about fear? What are your attitudes about politics? What are your attitudes towards people, processes, environments? And so when you begin to ask that question, what are my attitudes? Then you begin to understand, oh, that's how I'm developing a mindset. Okay. So now that we've set that, let's walk through this. What are the seven mindsets, or at least seven, what I believe are fundamental mindsets for successful people? Number one is they're always growing. They're always growing. They have a pretty firm belief that their abilities and that intelligence or knowledge can be developed. That's huge. They always believe there's more. I can learn more, and as a result, I can do more. So they're continuously learning. They have a spirit of enthusiasm to acquire new knowledge, turn that knowledge into skill, and then watch this, turn all of that into wins. They want to win. They're always looking to win. I'll tell you a story. I I, I heard this years ago, one of my favorite coaches, he signed a basketball that's over my shoulder here in the studio, Coach K, legendary coach of Duke. And I talked to a young coach at the Final Four. It was probably about seven or eight years ago. And uh, we were talking, and uh, I was saying, how was your offseason? And and tell me some exciting things are happening for the program. He said, you're not going to believe this, Ken. He goes, I got a call last week from Coach K. I said, really? What was that about? He goes, he saw us play in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. And he really liked the way our offense ran. And Ken, he said, I couldn't believe it. Coach Casey on the other end of the phone going, can I can I schedule some time with you? Uh, I'd like to come spend time at your place and, and review the film. I'd love to learn more about your offense. And this young coach, he'd been coaching for about 10 years, young guy, still in his 30s, couldn't believe, his mind was blown that Coach K wanted to learn from him. 
This is the GOAT. One of the GOATs, right? And he wants to learn from a younger player. This is what I'm talking about. Great people are always looking to learn. They don't care where they get it. They just want to learn. Number two, they're optimistic. They have a mindset of positivity. They've always got, even in the tough times, the darkest times, they have a positive outlook. Why? Because in those dark times, in times of great struggle, instead of focusing on how painful it is and their surroundings, they're always focused on getting out, digging out. Great winners don't stay in losing seasons very long. Why? Because they start focusing on what must change. They don't dwell on the problems. They dwell on the solution. And that's interesting. Even in the darkest times, hear me say this, because this is not Pollyanna positivity. Everything's okay. Do, 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 do. No, that's that's empty. This is truly an attitude to say, this sucks right now. They know why it sucks. But instead of focusing on what sucks, they focus on the solution so it doesn't suck anymore. And that mindset and attitude to say, I'm not going to stay in this pit, I'm going to get out, makes you optimistic. Number three, and by the way, this future thinking leads to this third mindset. Because they're always thinking about the future and making it better, it leads to persistence. This is an attitude, too. They are tenacious. They just don't give up. They may pivot. They may make a very strategic positive quit. But they don't stop. They view setbacks as temporary. And they use them as stepping stones. This is what I love. Winners know how to lose. Losers don't know how to lose. I'll give you an example. A loser in life is someone who loses, and they accept it as what it was, what it is, and they don't think about anything going forward. Just, well, this, I'm the victim. This happened. I couldn't do anything about it. I can't learn anything from it. I just lost. And they soak in the loss. Whereas winners go, why did I lose? What could I have done better? What could we have done better? How do I avoid this in the future? How can I make this better? Number four, they're goal-focused. They set clear and achievable goals. In other words, I could say specific goals. They're not muddy goals. They're extremely specific. I want to lose this much weight in this amount of time, and the way I'm going to do it is this way. I'm going to change this, 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 and this in order to get this. Whereas most people, when they set a goal, it seems clear to them, but it's not. It's just, I want to lose weight, or I want to get a new job. Okay. So first time I ever ran a half marathon, I'll give you an example. I had to go, I want to run a half marathon and I want to have a stretch goal. And the way I'm going to do it is this, 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 and this. That's a clear goal. And then once the goal is very clear to them that they can do it, they're diligent to get after it. And they create a process by which to reach the goal. That's what makes it achievable. Now, this gives them huge confidence because of their discipline focus the belief in their abilities and their processes, this powers them to take a calculated risk and overcome obstacles. It's a mindset of, all right, I, I figured this out. I can do it. Then they accept and adapt to change. All along the way, great winners are facing change. It's part of the deal.
but they're flexible and they adapt to those changing circumstances. And that enables them to actually get that grit and the perseverance. It moves forward. And then finally, they have a love-hate relationship with failure. They hate losing, but they love what they learn from it. Did you hear that? They hate losing. I mean, hate it. But they love what they learn from it. It doesn't break them. They see failure as a natural part of the learning experience, and they understand. I signed up to be a champion. I signed up to play. So guess what? That means I'm going to lose sometimes. But it is the losing that makes me a better winner. Those are the mindsets of great men and women. Helping you folks discover and do what you were born to do, and I need your help because I want to get this message out to as many people as possible. And the way you can do that is if you're watching on YouTube, will you like the video or videos you're watching? Would you subscribe to the channel? And then would you share the videos with someone that you believe it will equip and encourage? And then same thing on the podcast. But the new thing is, will you give us a follow, a five-star review, and share there as well? I would be grateful for that. All right. Uh, Because I am a, a self-proclaimed man of the people, which means I love to make sure that I inform you with the trends and things that are happening in the world at work so that you are winning um, and making sure that I give you a common sense analysis on what's happening. Uh, this is very interesting. New data out um, about Google and other big tech programs, uh, excuse me, companies. Uh, this is very interesting. And I'll break this down in a second, but first, the facts. Recent study conducted by Resume, uh, as a technology company, shows the average tenure of a Google employee is only 1.3 years, making them one of the top 10 companies where employees apparently don't want to stay. Now, this is not just a Google issue. Other big tech software companies, like Zoom, their average tenure is also 1.3 years. Reddit has an average tenure of 1.2 years. Meta slash Facebook, their average is only slightly better at 1.7 years. So what we're seeing from this is if you get a job with a big-time tech company, so think big brand name, looks really great on your resume, and smaller firms come calling. So to, to my friends out there who want to get in technology, you need to be talking to my friends at Bethel Tech. They have a nine-month online program. Costs less than $15,000 uh, for the program if you are a Ken Coleman Show listener, viewer. And you can get into big tech. And if you get into big tech, here's what the data is telling us. Smaller tech companies, they're looking to cherry-pick you. So what is a problem for big tech as relates to retention? I'll get to that in a second. But for you out there, you want to get into big tech. The data is telling us you land a big job with, with, with one of those companies, and now all of a sudden your resume looks pretty sexy, and these smaller firms are going to come your way, and they're going to offer you big bucks. So it's very interesting. So what does Google do? Now I want to talk to leaders here. Because this isn't just a lesson for Google. 
there, there, there is a lesson here on employee retention. I'll get to that in a second. But let's look at what the Google annual employee survey found. It's called Google Geist. It's an internal survey. And by the way, I applaud. I, I like to go after big companies because big companies like Google, they, they treat people like crap when they lay them off. Let's just say that. That's not disputable. They'll lay people off in the middle of the night, send them an email, tell them they were gone, and we, we shared stories like that on the show because big tech, uh, they've not shown me anything, uh, you know, uh, contrary to this. But they look at you as a unit of production and you affect their stock price. So when their stock price potentially gets hit or they see a potential recession coming down the line, like a lot of companies did in the first and second quarter of this year, what do they do? Big big techs are laying people off. Why? Because they're trying to cut expenses to see that share, the stock price go up. So what's going on at Google? Because I would suggest to you it's probably similar in these other big tech companies. This is what the employees said. They did not view their pay packages as fair or competitive with what they could make elsewhere. And they also questioned Google's ability to execute. In other words, to get you-know-what done. The lowest scores across the board in the survey were compensation and execution. The highest scores in the good news category were Google's mission and values. So there's a leadership lesson here. All right, first, let's break these things down. Okay, so if I'm a Google exec right now, I'm not happy with this retention policy. This isn't good. And I'm looking at this employee survey and I go, we got a lot of people on the team who think they aren't paid fairly. So now that's a communication issue. Communication, by the way, two-way street. You look at a healthy marriage, you show me a healthy couple and they go, they communicate well. Well, it's not that they're both eloquent. It's not their ability to give a four-point speech in the middle of an argument. It's their ability to be clear. It's their ability to hear. That's it. I'm not a marriage expert, but I've been married 25 years. So I've been on the wrong end of this deal a lot. All right? So I'm being honest here. The clearer that I am, the better in my relationships with my three teenagers. Good Lord. You want to talk, you want to learn how to be a great communicator, figure out how to how to be clear and how to hear your kid. It's hard, parents. Come on. Now, so as a, so as an executive, when we've got this kind of thing, we got to be clear as a communicator on this is how we pay. This is how we come up with it. And I need to know why you feel that you aren't fairly compensated. If I'm Google right now, I'm going, man, I'm dispatching my leaders. I'm going, hey, let's have a safe conversation and allow people to go to show you based on the market, based on my skill and experience in this role, here's why I believe I'm not being fairly compensated. But that takes some guts for leaders to maybe be wrong. And that's why we don't see leadership communicate well. Not only leaders, do you need to be clear on here's how we compensate, but you need to listen to these employees. And when they show you this, you go, well, I see that right there. And I see that maybe you're in the mid-range and you like to be on the high range. Let's come up with a growth plan to get you there. That's how this should happen. Because a lot of these employees are moving on. We saw this in the Great Resignation, which was a two and a half year period. Are you ready for this? Where over 70 million Americans changed jobs. 
We also saw a phenomenon after the Great Resignation, which was called the Great Regret, where millions of people said, I wish I hadn't left where I was. Why did they leave? They left for a bigger paycheck. But the paycheck high wears off. You leave a good company in a good role. You're on the right seat of the bus and, and may I say, on the right bus. But you go somewhere else, a different bus, which has a different seat and a bigger paycheck. You feel really great for a while. Stand a little taller. Look at me. I got a promotion. I got a bigger paycheck. Woo! And then we humans adapt to change so quickly that after about three or four to six paychecks, we start realizing I'm on a crappy bus or I'm in a crappy seat. And we start regretting that we chased the paycheck alone. The reason I wrote the book From Paycheck to Purpose is because this has been happening since the dawn of time. A paycheck isn't enough. The data shows us there must be purpose and work. In fact, there's three human needs that Gallup has found that must be met. And so Google or any major company, and I'm also not just talking to leaders right now, those of you who aren't in leadership, or maybe you're in a leadership role, but you're not happy where you are. There are three human needs that the largest study ever done on employee engagement revealed from Gallup. Number one, people need to see purpose and meaning in their work. They, they, there's got to be a connection. I love doing it. And the results that I produce matter to me. Second, we're all still little girls and little boys just want to be seen daddy watch mommy watch it's not enough that mom and dad are looking at us we want them to go way to go kenny and so that leads to that second human need we must get recognition for our unique contribution this is not happening in the world of work you want to know why people are leaving they're searching for some acceptance hey Debbie, you did a good job on this the other day. I saw it. It was great. The third human need that must be met is they must have a relationship with their leader. It can't just be boss. That's so transactional. Relational is a boss who coaches me, a boss who mentors me, who cares about me growing personally, professionally, and financially. You want to change bad retention? Meet those human needs and watch everything change. All right, I always love to give stuff away, especially when it's not mine. Anybody like that? I love giving away Dave Ramsey's money. I've been doing it for a long time. Before I was a Ramsey personality, I was the host of All Things Ramsey, YouTube channel, all the live events, uh, the Entree Leadership Podcast. And so it was part of my job to give away Dave's money. I would give it away at live events. And so I've, I've developed a spiritual gift of giving away Dave's stuff. I'm, I'm one of the best at it. And so I get to join their team. We're giving away cash. You could win one of our $500 weekly prizes or the $3,000 grand prize. Uh, it's our annual Ramsey Cash Giveaway. So all you got to do is go to RamseySolutions.com slash giveaway. That's RamseySolutions.com slash giveaway. And you can come back every day and enter for more chances to win. No purchase necessary, but you must be 18 or older to win the cash. So go, go, go. 
All right, let's go to Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Coolest name I've heard of in a long time. I love that. Anna, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. This is Anna. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. What's up? (laughs) So I uh, just need some guidance on whether or not I need to go back to school to pursue uh, my master's degree. Okay. Master's in what? Uh, Counseling. Okay. And and I think I know this, but why are we pursuing a master's in counseling? Well, I'm passionate about helping people, um, especially in mental health. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um been doing it for a while now. In what capacity? My, well, um, I, well, just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, about five years ago, I got my bachelor's in biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after, landed a job um, at a drug rehabilitation center for women and absolutely loved it. And what so, role were you in? A counselor. Oh, really? So they didn't require mm-hmm. that you had any education other than the bachelor's? That's correct. Um, just That's because good. it was a nonprofit organization yeah. or ministry, so to speak. So Yeah, you know that. what I love about that? Like, hmm. that's how it ought to be. Yeah. Like, all this licensing and crap, you know what that is? It's just government regulation. You had a nonprofit ministry who said... You went to four-year school, and you've got the fundamentals of, of counseling, and we want to put you right in front of women who are struggling with substance abuse right now. Meet them where they are. And they said, come on. And you did yeah. it. So you need a master's degree now to step it up, to go have your own light, your own practice, correct? That's correct. Is that the goal, is your own practice? Well, not necessarily. Okay. Um, I So I went ahead and got my – certification certification in life coaching with mental health because I figured that possibly I could still work with people work with women yeah in this you know in this area in this field so I've been doing that for two years on your um, own on my own yeah how kind of money are you making so that's the dilemma not making very much money right now okay and I and I know like, the answer to this but I'm gonna ask anyway <laughs> what is the reason for that? Well, I I don't know with my packages. I don't know if I'm selling enough. I've done everything as far as reading the prospecting book. Um, I've done a lot of research on how to get new clients in. I've connected with a lot of people from my church. So we've seen, um, I've seen, you know, it grow, but just not as quick as I would like it to. For it too. What's your so, conver- Yeah. What's your conversion rate when you get somebody kind of interested? So think top of funnel with you know I'm getting leads. What's your conversion rate? Are you talking about uh, taking someone? Price? Yeah, oh. taking no taking someone from I'm interested in your coaching program to closing them where they sign a contract and become an actual client. Very small percentage, just because of well, it's all the excuse seems to be the finances. Of course. I mean, listen, that's always going to be the biggest hurdle on life coaching or in career coaching because it's it's an additional expense in their life. Right. What are you charging an hour? Well, my packages are typically, I would like, like it for, for it to be $1,200 for three months, but I have found myself 
charging $600 for three months, which and, is barely anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And and in the yeah. when you say 1200 for three months, what do they get for the 1200 over the three-month period? They get a one-hour session each week for three months. And also... So 12 sessions? Time. Yes, that's correct. So these are hour sessions? Yes. So you're charging... Hour- you're charging a hundred bucks an hour. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, that's not outrageous. That's not outrageous. Um, I think you're going to have to expand your because you're doing this locally in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and I'm, I'm guessing it's not a very big area. No, that's part of the not problem. Very big. Not only is it not a big area, my guess is that incomes are probably slightly lower there than, let's say, Oklahoma City. Fair. Yes, you're right. All right, so. What do we do about that? What first comes to your mind? Well, I have social media. I have a website, so I've been reaching out. Correct. You that now way. can coach women anywhere in the world. We live in 2023. Mm-hmm. You could coach a woman that lives right here in Franklin, Tennessee tonight. Right. And so what you've got to do is you've got to expand your territory. Okay. And you may need to, for a season, you may need to work another job so that you take the financial pressure off of this, because this is the dream job. Yes? Yeah. Yes. All right. So I've seen so many dream jobs go to the graveyard because they had too much financial pressure on them. I'll give you an example from my own life. I don't know if you know my story or not, but I started in broadcasting at 33. I didn't have a degree. I still don't have a degree. Um, I knew I had the talent. I knew I had the passion. And I had to figure out the mission piece, the results I wanted to create. First, it was sports. And I realized I didn't want to entertain that way. I wanted to equip and encourage people. And so figured out the lane and essentially got a machete out and carved my own lane. And then Dave Ramsey comes calling, right? But had I put all my eggs into the broadcasting basket my family and I would have probably starved. Do you understand? Yeah. Which means I would have had to quit or pause. And so there are times in our lives, Anna, where we have to pause. But I don't think this is the time. I don't think you need to pause. I just think you may need to think about, do I need to make some more money? through a part-time job or a full-time job for a season and I really start working to get my online life coaching for women that have dealt with trauma or whatever because you've got the perfect background and you got a heart for these women. You know who they are. That's the good news. You know your audience. You just got to go find them and you got to go where they are online and you got to be a lighthouse. You ever seen a lighthouse on a coast at night? Yes. It's a beautiful thing. And you got to be a lighthouse and you got to stay with it. But taking the financial pressure off of this is going to be huge because now it's not I'm, every day I step into this, I don't step into it with stress to try to get X amount of clients who will sign this and I got to talk to them about money and I got to, you don't want all that stress. Am I hitting the nerve? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> all right then. Yeah. So if I'm you, if I need more money right now, I'm going to go, all right, I'm not going to press pause. I'm certainly not going to quit, but I am going to go bring in some more money somewhere else so that when I'm out there 
nights, early mornings, weekends, maybe an hour or two during the day if I've got a remote job working from home, whatever. I, in those moments, I'm moving the ball down the field incrementally, slowly, yes, but steadily. And I'm learning how to get people from outside Broken Bow to go, I want to hear what Anna's got to say. And I think Anna can help me. Thoughts? Okay. I think that's wonderful. That's, I mean, that's my heart. That's where my heart is at. Don't you dare quit. You hear me? No. Okay. So if you got to take some financial pressure off of this dream, take the financial pressure off. But it doesn't mean you stop doing it. It just allows you to go, ah, and I can focus on one woman at a time. And you start helping one woman at a time, word starts to spread. you got to believe that. So hang in there. i got a gift for you. I want you to read the proximity principle and connect it to what you're trying to do. Hang on, we'll get you the book. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.